Welcome to Becoming Your Greatest Possible Self. I am Chris Burns, America's number one motivational speaker for fiery inspiration and GPS coach for entrepreneurs and high achievers. Each episode, we interview leaders and great role models who make a massive impact in the world to help you master yourself, take courageous action, and make every day your best day ever. So, ladies and gentlemen, JD is about to come on and blow your mind in terms of how do you actually write something that makes an impact, that makes a, a difference in people's lives. And especially, this guy is just such a big heart and, and building these foundations and standing for causes that matter. So you definitely want to stay tuned. He's just crushing it and doing big, big things. Before that, I'm talking to you because you're becoming your greatest possible self. And whether it's showing up for this podcast or YouTube or watching this live stream or going to seminars, going to live events, networking, connecting, hiring coaches, taking those next steps, investing in people's programs or books, or whatever it is, just keep showing up. Keep taking one step at a time because that is the biggest challenge on the journey. Sometimes we're so hard on ourselves and all it takes is staying in the race, staying in the game. And I'm sure JD would definitely affirm that and just keep showing up, keep doing your best. So that is, I'm talking to you. That's the message for you. The other thing is for you out there listening, or watching right now, if you want to get shouted out on a future 12-hour live stream, how you do it is you go to iTunes, you go to Apple Podcasts, uh, beergps.com forward slash iTunes, and you can leave a review there and you'll get an opportunity to get shouted out in a future 12-hour live stream. So Human Flame wrote on one of these reviews, it gets you going. This 12-hour marathon, becoming your greatest possible self, gets you going. Thanks, Chris, for your energy and positivity that you bring. Love what you are bringing to the table. Human Flame, thank you so much for sharing that review with us. And if you want a chance to get shouted out, go to beergps.com forward slash iTunes or search greatest possible self on the Apple podcast store and leave a review. Thank you so much for doing that. I'm going to bring on JD in just a second here. Before that, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen. I know you're going to get some inspirational ideas. You're going to step up your, your vision of what's possible, of how you can impact humanity. This guy is super inspiring. So definitely stay tuned all the way through till the end because one idea has the power to change everything for you. Let's introduce JD and then we will bring him on because JD is a former Division I basketball player who started his career as a walk-on at UC Santa Barbara before earning a full scholarship during his junior season. Four months after graduating in 2018 with his bachelor's degree in sociology, soci sociology JD's debut novel, Moonflower, was published, a book written in dedication of his late friend, Luke Baden. Since Moonflower's release on September 14, 2018, it has remained in the top 2% of books sold on Amazon. On August 3, 2019, JD released the Moonflower Charity Edition, and 100% of the profits from this book are donated to sickle cell research. JD is the Director of Relationship Development for Luke Strong Foundation, which is a registered 501c3 nonprofit that supports children with sickle cell disease. In the last year, J.D. has spoken to over 100,000 people, and this past June, he was honored with the opportunity to deliver the commencement address to the entire UCSB ICA graduating class of 2019. J.D. and his story have been featured on Fox News, ABC News, and he was a part of the most watched NFL game in ESPN Monday Night Football 
history. And my gosh, that's just the tip of the iceberg with this guy because he is just a crusher. JD, are you ready to rock the house, my man? I am ready to rock and roll. I'm I'm oh, gearing up over here. Dude, I love it. I love it. You are on fire, man. So we're going to dive right into the theme today, JD, which is being in your prime. And I want to hear, what does that mean for you, bro? Well, first of all, Chris, thanks for the wonderful introduction. I mean, super honored and a pleasure to be on the show. I just spent the last couple hours diving into the knolls of all your stuff and uh, listening to all your episodes you've done. And I mean, you know, just to be considered and be involved myself is, is really cool. So um, thank you for that. You know, happy to be here. And um, I mean, to me, it's, it's all about starting today. Like I, something I speak about pretty often about, you know, if that in regards to being in your prime or anything like that is, um, you know, I was a horrible student. I was someone that was not on a path of academic success or prowess or really even athletic prowess as well. But um, I loved what I did and I just worked at it every day. And um, I didn't make a one, you know, it wasn't like an overnight thing where I made some large jump or one significant difference in what I was going after. But um, the thing I just tell people is, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room and you, you don't have to have this natural talent or born uh, identity in some sort of uh, path. It's right. just about the person that wants to work the hardest. So um, I think that the best time to start doing anything is right now, you know, and your age is not important. It's about the passion you display, but. Mm. Mm. I love that. So being in your prime has nothing to do with your age. It has like to do with now. What are you going to do with this present moment? This moment is, uh, is, is the place of power, is the place of creating your reality. So I, I love it, man. I love that philosophy. And JD, I mentioned it in your intro, but just in your own words, why don't you share a little bit more about what's the big focus for you these days, serving people, speaking, you have a foundation. Tell us a little bit more in your own words, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it's a funny time right now, actually, which is uh, it's cool for me to come out and be uh, out doing stuff for publicity again, because I've actually been for the last uh, six weeks off of all social media, uh, off all speaking tours, put everything on hold. Um, and we had scheduled this in advance. So this is kind of my one and only coming out party. So I've been looking forward to it uh, <laughs> in the talk and yap away all day. But uh, I'm in the middle of a massive project right now. Uh, it's something I can't, unfortunately, uh, contractually talk about, um, but I can say that it will be done in on January 1st. Um, so I'm happy to come back on the show. And then at that point, we could just talk for hours and hours about it. But yeah. at this point, it's still remaining pretty close to the vest. But that's kind of the thing at the moment um, I'm doing. But um, in the past a couple of big things that have been, you know, really influential in my life has been, first of all, my involvement in the Luke Strong Foundation. Mm. Um, mentioned is a nonprofit that I'm the director of relationship development for. And that's the nonprofit that's named after my friend that passed away from sickle cell disease. Um, and he's the one that I ended up writing this book about, but he was just an incredible kid. And his family is some, you know, are people that I talk to on a daily basis, even now. And, uh, it's probably to me the most important thing I get to do is uh, be a part of that foundation and get to meet, you know, give back, but meet all of the other, as I like to call Luke's in the world, other little kids that have his disease or are affected in some way, <clears throat> excuse me. But um, that's kind of one entity of my nonprofit world. And the other entity is I'm 
a national ambassador for the American Red Cross after I lost my home in the Woolsey fire. Um, so I've done a lot of stuff with them as well. And that's like a totally different path that I wear where uh, I get to do all the fun stuff like go on TV and uh, speak in front of people and represent the Red Cross. But, um, you know, I don't do nearly the amount of hard work that the, the normal sort of volunteers do. And um, I'm honored just to be in, involved in that conversation, really. So those are a couple of the organizations that I've partnered with. Heck yeah, man. I love it. I love it. So I want to go back into your journey. I mentioned a little bit about it in the intro. Talk about, you know, being an athlete and what happened. Uh, Once you know. upon a time, man. <laughs> Once upon a time. Tell us about that. What was that like to, to get to that position in your life and, and success? Terrible, you know, just like the worst ever. I mean, you know, I, I like writing books way more, man. I don't have to sweat all day and like get bullied by guys that are eight feet taller than me, you know, because I'm <laughs> Six six, but at that level, I'm I'm below average height in my position. So wow, wow, man. But you know, all jokes aside, I mean, those are those are my best friends, and I I again talk to them every day. And you know, to combine both worlds, those were Luke's favorite athletes too. I mean, he mm -hmm. came to all those games. They all knew who Luke was, um, and that's really where my story began was with basketball because Luke uh, told his his uh, older sister. So I was a senior in high school at Oak Park in Southern California, and his sister was a sophomore, and he was only six years old, and he went to every single one of my high school games, and he didn't miss one, and I'd never met him before. And his sister came up to me after one of my games and said, hey, you know, my little brother wants to meet you and play basketball with you. And I was like, you know, I'm sure like I'm some big deal like I'm pretty busy you know like I don't know if I have time or whatever <laughs> and uh but then she hit me with something that you know has I mean now eight years later still shaking my world up completely and she said uh the last thing my little brother wants to do before he goes into the hospital for a full year of isolation for a bone marrow transplant is meet you and play basketball with you wow and that sort of was the catapult for this whole relationship Damn. So what, what happened in terms of your mindset and like, what did you see shift? You mentioned kind of, you're the cool kid on the block. And then after this, this right. conversation, I think you, you got a little bit more real with like, what is, what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to connect with people? Um, you know, it didn't happen initially. And I think that's only something I've probably come to admit more as I've gotten more comfortable talking about this story is, you know, I wish I could say and sit here today and say, yeah, like, after she told me that I was hanging out with Luke every day and we were best friends. I mean, I was still, you know, kind of that self-centered dude. And, um, it was a gradual thing. Like it didn't happen overnight. And, um, unfortunately, you know, kind of what I realized was once Luke passed. So he died four years later after that, he was 10 years old. Um, I just said, for you know, forget it. There's, there's gotta be more out there. Like I owe it to him to try and do something bigger than with this. Um, and that was, I think that was when the big shift sort of happened. But for me, I, I look back at my career and even my final year as a basketball player was the most, most important thing I got to do as an athlete was uh, meet Luke and meet other kids like him. And uh, that's what I remember, not the points I scored or the games we won or any of that. But, um, and I think that, you know, was because of a great, great friendship I gained through athletics. Yeah. Yeah. And also the trajectory of your life was completely 
altered because yeah, of right. that. So, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. The seeds that are sown sometimes don't initially, we, we can't immediately see the fruits that of all the efforts that we're, we're planting, you know, like for me doing this 12 hour marathon marathon for three years, like I didn't see crap from you yeah, know, right. the very beginning. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, but like after years, it's like, you start to see the momentum. Yeah. So like yeah. what, what started changing about your activities, about how you looked at life, um, you know, in the end of college and then beyond that, like what, what interests, what hobbies, what, um, as far as professionally i know you started writing tell us a little bit more about that evolution yeah and i think that's a great point chris i think it i mean that that's the crux of it all like i i was having a conversation i'm gonna answer your question but i want to point this out too i was having a conversation with a friend of mine who was a younger kid and he was really struggling with sports and um he you know he's followed my story very closely and seen a lot of my success and um i was you know catching up with him and this is what I said. And I I think a lot of people could probably relate to this is I said, dude, like you probably see that, you know, I go on TV like once every four months and you assume like I got it going on and like, it's, it comes supernaturally. And, um, you know, that like these people are contacting me and that's, I I called it to him, the Instagram version of it. I said, that's the, that's the Instagram kind of perfect world scenario. Right. Mm -hmm. And I said, dude, that could not be farther from the truth. I said, for every time I get to go on TV and do anything, if I, if I get to go on TV once, you can count on probably 15 other places, turn me down. Mm. And you would never know that had I not told him or, you know, mentioned that, but, uh, that's, and that's everything in life. I mean, that's people have to realize that these things do take time. And, um, you know, the people that are bought in from the jump and do it for the right reasons are the ones that last. So, I think that's a great point you make. Um, but for me, it was uh, such a kind of organic, holistic approach to writing. Like I, how the story goes for me was Luke passed away and I really kind of locked myself in a dark room and uh, cut out a lot of my social life that was kind of getting too much. And um, I just dedicated myself to basketball mm-hmm. and I had the best season of my life, like starting, you know, earned that scholarship, was playing tons of minutes. and. Uh, on the outside, I bet everyone was again kind of like thinking, "Yeah, that's he. He did it. He made him proud. Um, what a great story that is." And um, but I was sort of looking around the gym, going like, "This is it. Like, really? Like, this is what, you know." I gave up everything to just play more, and uh, that's when I knew basketball was really just going to become a footnote in my career. Um, so I started writing a book just to kind of occupy the time like it was not it was i hand wrote the entire first draft which was 400 pages of my book and um just as a way to kind of remember my friend and and deal with that loss um but you know it was it started off as just something that was just kind of for me and then it became obviously you know my life's just a mess ever since then pretty much but (laughs) (laughs) what what um when you wrote the story, like, what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about life? What did you learn about uh, your relationship with Luke? Um, I think, I think I learned so much and learned is the wrong word. I'm still learning. Like I, he, he's been gone now for three years. He would have been 13 last May. Um, and 
I swear I still, you know, hear this kid in my head giving me crap for not, you know, getting to the office early enough today or like getting into something. And uh, he's still very much part of my life, maybe more so now than ever. And uh, I'm still learning. Um, and that's a pretty cool thing, I think. But um, the thing I think I learned about myself was just that you know, at the end of the day, like you're the only one who lives your life. And if you're not happy with something, you, you, it's all, it's up to you to make that right. Um, and I think for a while there, you know, after I'd written this book and I was going out, I was kind of doing it for others for a bit. Like I was loved all the notoriety and going, you know, doing all the press and all that. But at a certain point you realize you're like, dang, I'm the only one who gets to go on every show, every speech, every whatever. And, um, I had a new focus after that. Cause I realized, you know what, like, this is so much bigger than just something that is for, you know, maybe even just Luke and I, but this can help a lot of people. So, um, I learned, I learned a lot about that process in that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, and you know, still learning still so much more to learn. So always, always, man, there's always more, more growth to experience. And I think, you know, for me, what I've experienced with writing things is it, it improves my communication ability. So you're always learning, right? But you're able to put it into words more effectively. And especially with you speaking to different audiences, going on on TV, doing interviews, to be able to articulate it, writing, I think is so important to, to one, increase the confidence and the verbal like fluency of how do I actually communicate this story? How do I give give a a tangible deliverable to express my emotions and like the amount of emotions that I'm sure you've gone through the roller coaster of emotions just in life uh, I know your your house like you had to lose that and like all these different experiences that you have like what are you able to communicate about it so that it actually makes a difference for other people? And now you're like speaking for Red Cross and doing all these cool things because you started to learn how to communicate it, man. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, I think um, you learn kind of the simplification too. Like you want people to be able to take away certain things. Like the, the story I always tell people with Luke, and it's actually on the first page of my book, it's the last words he ever told me was uh, just to smile more he always used to say jay you got to smile more you don't smile enough and uh so on the first page of my book it's entirely blank and then in the corner right like it the whole page is blank and then just the last two words in the page are smile more period um and i always tell people like you know i've given 45 minute keynote speeches and although i would love if they remembered every single word i know that's <laughs> never happened no. uh I tell them, I say, if you remember one thing, it's remember those, those two words, smile more, that's it. And uh, I've had a pretty good um, feedback on that saying people really take that home and you know apply it. So um, I think you want to have complex and grandois kind of themes, but you want to give them also something that they can take home and, and have forever. Yeah, and I think that goes back to our theme of today, which is like writing one page a day. Start with the basics. Start with doing the, the drills to get the skills. And so I know that's a, a philosophy for you. Can you tell us how that came about? How did you learn about that and start to implement that? Yeah, I had a professor at UCSB who was, I mean, I, you know, I can't stand the guy. He's terrible. Like I, you know, <laughs> I, I talk about him all the time and I don't, he doesn't even, I don't even think he should deserve this credit, but I give it to him. <laughs> Um, is he was uh, his name was Macy Bernstein, mm -hmm. and 
like I said, he's just the worst. Um, but he used to always tell us, if you write a page a day mm. in a year, you will have written a 365 page book. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, in the back flirting with the girls, like, you know, chewing bubble gum, like I could care less. But four years later, after I'd written a book, he was the first person I called. Wow. And I said, Hey man, it's good to see you. And he's like, I don't even remember who you are from my class. And uh, <laughs> I said, well, you know, he, yeah, he thought I needed a letter of recommendation. So I said, no, man, I don't need a letter of recommendation. I need you to read my book. And he was just like, you know, all right, email it to me. And I said, well, it's handwritten. And I gave him the handwritten copies. And that was maybe three, four years ago. So no, that must have been two and a half years ago. We've become best friends ever since. Like he, everything I do from short stories, articles, um, you know, anything I write, he reads before it goes out every single thing. Mm -hmm. I have not submitted anything without his prior approval, which is super hard to get. So I feel like I'm obligated to, you know, roast him a bit here because I love (laughs) death. But yeah, (laughs) he's the worst. That's awesome. That's that's so funny. <laughs> I did not see that coming. I was like, "Hey, I'm JD. You're you're like really grilling this guy. He must." And then you use his name. Oh, where are we going? <laughs> that's good, man. That's good. Um, that's that's awesome. I think it's it's important to have people in our life who number one show us like one step at a time. How can we how can we apply ourselves and take the steps, and make it doable and practical, but also hold us to an incredibly high standard and make sure that we are meeting who we can become our greatest possible self man so it's really awesome you have someone like that in your corner yeah no he's i mean great guy he'll be a friend for life i mean he's yeah you know believe me like you you do a little research you'll find a bunch of photos of me and this guy he does not miss a photo op he's like loves the camera more than anybody so (laughs) you'll, you'll believe me you'll see more of him in the future i guarantee it i love it i love it man i want to talk about your commitment and stand for these different um you know nonprofit causes charitable organizations things that you believe in like where did that spirit and and like actualizing that that like putting effort into these organizations volunteering speaking for them appearing on behalf of them when did that like really start to take hold for you um i think it's just very like-minded people like you know not to get two in the weeds, but like, you know, I, I talked to you over the phone and I can tell in the first five minutes that there's a mutual understanding about like a lot of things, you know, it's like, you, you know, your people right away. And I think that that's something we'll, we'll all get better at as we get older. Yeah. The Red Cross are, are people that you want to be around. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I could tell you stories and stories about the people I met in my travels with them. It's like, I, I'll tell you a quick one. I was speaking at an event in uh bakersfield california and i was getting ready to you know do like a keynote speech there and it was an award ceremony and they gave they announced the winner of this award right after i'd spoken and um the guy walked up to the stage and he was probably like 70 75 years old and his voice was so gone you could hardly hear him talk and he talked all about how much he loved being with the red cross and um, you know, all pretty, pretty nice stuff. I mean, it wasn't anything groundbreaking. And I leaned over to uh, the CEO of Red Cross, Tony Briggs, for Central California, the CEO of Red Cross Central California. And I asked him, I said, hey, Tony, what, uh, what's wrong with this guy's voice? Like, 
I can't even hear him. And he goes, Oh, uh, he was diagnosed with throat cancer two years ago and he was given two years to live. And that's when he signed up to be a red cross volunteer. And this guy was giving his final two years of life in his seventies to do what, you know, I'm doing healthy, able-bodied at 24. So, you know, yeah, like I, I'm, I think I've done some cool stuff and I'm not going to take away from it, but that's there. I, I'm not in the league of that, of someone like that. And, uh, that's when you realize, dude, uh, if he can give his final two years of life to service and also go up there and not even mention that he's, he's, he's on his deathbed, um, we can all do more, man. So, you know, that, and that's, I mean, one of hundreds, I could tell you about the people that you're around there. So yeah, it's like, it's, it's, I mean, it, they don't, and they also, and I've, I've joked with them about this too. They don't really let you leave once you're in. So once you start working with the red cross, <laughs> you're in for life. So it's not really your choice either. You jumped in. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Um, this, that's great. I think, I want to talk practically, what can people start doing today to make a difference and to, you know, serve in causes that they believe in? Where, where do you recommend people start? Yeah, I mean, great, great question. And I think something that is important to speak about, um, because everyone's path is different. And, you know, I look, I, I didn't necessarily, I was not doing stuff like this when I was in high school or middle school, you know, and, um, but now I'm doing it all the time. So I think that what I always tell people is, um, keep your ear to the ground and it doesn't have to be sickle cell disease or Woolsey fire relief, red cross. Um, it could be anything that you're passionate about. I mean, there's a lot of things that we need help with, like from political environmental stuff to, um, you know, the smallest other random diseases and suicide prevention. I mean, it's like you find the thing that makes you really want to get up in the morning and support that cause. The other thing I think is so important is the idea that if you impact and help one person with all of your work, it's worth it. And you cannot lose sight of that ever. I mean, that impact is, uh, it's groundbreaking. And I, I can say that because I was the one that experienced that one person. Luke was the one that did this for me, you know, so, and he probably didn't even realize it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you feel like you wish you're making a bigger splash, but I think that you got to remember that, like we talked about, it's a slow build and, uh, one person is not a waste of time. Yeah, dude, I love that. I in the beginning I said as long as one person gets their an impact, gets a new some new perspective, gets inspired, gets encouraged from this interview, then it was a success. You know, with every guest, I set out to to have that uh, accomplishment. And I also want to talk about like people getting involved with whatever is passionate for them, whatever is important to them. Like for you out there listening or watching this right now. Think back to your challenges, your breakdowns. Did you have a, a broken home? Did uh, parents leave you? Did you know different things happen? Did you grow up in poverty? Did you whatever? What were those pain points for you? I think when we look at that, we didn't like, in my opinion, we didn't randomly experience challenges, obstacles, and traumas in our life. No, they are there to serve us. They're there to uh, lean into and also to guide us in terms of 
where did we experience the most pain? What do we care about? I know someone who's been through something similar to me. I'm going to go help that person. And I also love how you said, don't really focus on the, the big splash. I mean, that's great. Like if it happens, awesome. And focus on how can you actually go make a difference in someone's life? What, what can you do to really be there for them, to care about them, to hear what they're going through? Because oftentimes, when people are going through difficult times and challenging, you know, traumas, different things like that, they just want to feel like they're not alone. They just want to feel like they're not broken. It's not hopeless. And, you know, some of them are on the verge of giving up on life. So to give them the space to feel like they, they still matter and that there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel, I think is, is one of the most valuable things we can do as humans. I wholeheartedly agree for sure. I think that, that, that touch, you know, is so undervalued. Um, and honestly, I mean, I know some people need it more than others. Like I, I know I can go a long time without it. And, uh, that's kind of a trade I've, I've gotten stronger at, you know, when you spend a lot of time writing, it's like, you're really in your own head working on things. Um, not everyone can do that. Some people need that kind of stimulation and reach out more often. And, uh, I've understood that in, you know, friends and family that like, I'm not always super connected to. And so, um, those things are important, you know, people need that at any, any level of friendship. So, um, yeah, it absolutely makes a big difference for sure. Mm. I love it. Do you think, uh, what, what's your thoughts about writing? Who should, who should write, who shouldn't write? <laughs> That's a good question too. Uh, and one I've never been asked before, actually. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, I, this might come as a surprise, but like the cat's out of the bag. I've said it a lot. I'm not talented at all. Like, I don't think I'm a, I'm a great writer, great student, great mind. Um, it's funny. I'm actually, I was thinking about this when I uh, was coming on the show today. I have a little board above my desk and I'm looking at it right now and I write a quote on it every day. And today's quote is, I have no special talent. I am only passionately curious. Mm. And that was Albert Einstein. Wow. And um, I would second that and retweet it and repost it times a thousand. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, you know what? I think everyone can write. I think everyone can do anything that I've done and anything that any great uh, artist or musician or person has done. I, I don't think that that's like a natural, either you have it or you don't think mm -hmm. it's just how are you willing to put in the time to get really good at it? Um, and, uh, more specifically, what I tell people that want to write books or get into you know something similar to what I've done, I tell them that to think about the worst thing that has ever happened to them and write about it because mm -hmm. that's a way to not only help yourself deal with something, but that's a way for you to see how emotionally colorful your writing can be when you're writing about something that's so impactful. I think that's great. I think everyone has the opportunity to write and it's just a question of if if they will number one is that a um aligned self-expression for for each individual because some people might just want to journal a couple yeah, things of, of gratitude right yeah so it's like some people might just want to journal a couple things of gratitude in the morning and like yeah. that's your self-expression some people might want to speak some people might want to you know uh look at a dream board or a vision board and some people you know might want to write a book i think the the people who choose to own their story and become become a student of how do i leverage my story to serve others 
uh, even if you're not going to be a speaker, leader, influencer, whatever, you know, author, whatever it might be, to simply be aware of how do I communicate the things that have happened to me in such a way that it actually makes a difference for others. I think everyone, in my opinion, every single person on this planet, uh, it would benefit them to take that on as being a student of their own story and how to communicate it. Yeah, I never, I never thought of it like that, Chris. And I have to say, I applaud you. That's a very good point. I never realized that, but I think you're totally right. It doesn't have to be like, you know, book form, but it. There are so many different ways where you need to have that sort of skill and uh, ability to kind of articulate um, your your story because yeah. that people people need that. I mean, I one of the best books I've read is called Tell to Win by Peter Guber, mm-hmm. and he wrote the uh, or he's the owner of the Golden State Warriors. He's a major venture capitalist. Uh, he's, you know, like a Forbes top 100 wealthy, uh, entrepreneur guy. But anyway, um, the whole book is about how he, he feels like in his business ventures and in his life, um, every time he got too deep into like spreadsheets, um, data points, business flow charts in a business proposition, mm-hmm said 90% of the time, no matter how good the numbers lined up or how impressive everything looked, the deal never happened. Mm. But every time he focused on telling a story accurately, it worked almost 100% of the time, even if the odds were against him. And basically, he was just saying, like, no matter who you are, what business you're in, the better you can tell your story, the more successful you'll be. Yeah, it's a great book. That's tell, tell to Win by Peter Guber. Mm. It really, it goes to these, these kind of four fundamental things, these core things like how to win friends and influence people, Dale, Dale Carnegie, right? Like that, that stuff is so fundamental. And oftentimes I know I've, I've noticed myself say, oh, I know that already. I've already done that. You know, I've already read that book and I was talking to Jeff Blades earlier and he's like, well, how could you, how would you actually do on a test on this information? Like, would you actually say that you know it, you've memorized it, you live it, you know? And I think that even studying our own journey, we still have blind spots about what happened, the things that happened to us, who quote unquote did us wrong and what, what these things were that happened that we use as defining points to say, like, I am this way because. And if we get into the creation mode of saying, I am this way because, and we use an empowering reason, um, then I think that's that's super important to be the, the creator of our reality and to shape our life into being whoever we want to be, whatever our, our greatest possible self is. Amen. Yeah, man. This is, this is gold. I want to talk about speaking in front of schools, in front of students, in front of people. You spoke in front of 100,000 people over the last like year or so. Tell us a little bit more about how you have evolved as a a storyteller, as a speaker, someone who speaks in front of large audiences. Well, so you start with like decaf coffee, like your first couple (laughs) of pieces, and then you kind of get towards like, you know, that tall coffee, me, and then it's like, you're doing Red Bull monster. (laughs) Like that's what I ended up being at. And then it's like, dude, I started banging Red Bulls before every speech because I would do like one a week. And it got to the point where I was doing like three or four a week. And I was like, JD, you can't you can't drink a Red Bull every time you speak if this is going to continue to build. Like you got to figure this out. Wow. Um, wow. Which is uh, you know so don't do any of that. That's a whole, <laughs> that, that's the worst. That's like the worst thing I ever did. Um, oh but no, it was. 
it was uh it's something you certainly like improve on i mean i know you've been involved in similar things like that yourself so you know from experience but um like anything you get better the more you do it um and any any chance you get to speak in front of people whether it's 10 people or 10,000 uh is is a total blessing and it should not ever be taken lightly and you should treat every time you speak like the last like it's your last speech ever and um i i i fully feel like i own that um because it's a it's a huge privilege and honor to have people's attention that long nowadays is not taken lightly so i think anytime you get to do it you should really prepare as much as you can when you go to speak like what is your what is your biggest intention that you step into the into the onto the stage into the spotlight with and um how do you deliver on that um I want them to walk away with a good understanding of not who I am. That's not my goal. I'm not, I'm not up there to say, Hey, like this is how I got from here to here to here. Although that is a part of my speech. That is absolutely like the, like the text, the subtext of my speech is what I'm really trying to get at. And that's to outline the fact that, um, you do not, like we talked about, you do not have to be someone that is like, going to be the next chemical engineer to be successful. I mean, I, I'm always just trying to tell my story in terms of, Hey, anybody can be me. Anybody can do what I'm doing. And in fact, you can all be even better and do more than whatever I'm doing. So, um, that's the goal of every speech really is to try and make that point clear in a way and kind of masquerade it in a a story about, you know, things I've done or, and they change speech to speech, but that's the main point that kind of resonates true to every uh, place I go. Do you enjoy speaking more or writing more? <sighs> <It's a good laughs> um, I, 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 uh, I have to, uh, unfortunately I know this is like the tiptoe away from it, but I, uh, I, I don't even know if I can really answer that. It's just so different. Um, I think, um, I have times where I enjoy one more than the other and it just it goes back and forth. I mean, it's, it's a lot to go out and, you know, promote and do all the publicity and meet people every day and speak. It's like, that's a lot. And then also it's really nice to just be able to relax and not deal with anybody and just really focus on your craft and what kind of got you there. So, um, I, I mean, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I probably have to go with the writing over the speaking, um, just because I think it's, you can only speak and do so much. Um, your book will live much longer and any writing. And, um, I think that that's something that, you know, even when I'm gone can be passed around. And, um, so I think that that's probably where my real heart is, but the speaking has kind of become more of a natural thing than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I I love the way you said that. I think the speaking is like opens up the doorway. It's almost like marketing, right? Speaking is is like marketing. You're getting in front of people and they get to feel your heart. And so once they feel your heart and who you are and you deliver substance as well, they're like, Hey, I want to know more about this, you know, or maybe they already had your book and they see you live in person and they're like, man, like JD's a rock star. I, I really need to dig into this book. And then the book is the opportunity to really get intimate with, an author with a set of, um, you know, like education and, and lessons and, and the curriculum, whatever the point is of the book, it's like a home study course that you can take at your own 
self-pace. And whether you're in the bathroom, whether you're on a plane, whether you're, you know, going to vacation, whether you're, you know, just have a couple minutes in between different obligations or activities or things that we got going on, then like people can access that on the go. And I think that's, that's really valuable that people can, can dive into a work into, um, you know, a philosophy whenever they want. And that's, Gonna, they're gonna, you know, any. I mean, the longest speech is an hour at the most, and any book, like the book, would take you twelve hours to read. So, you know, there's, they're not. I mean, it's, it's hard to kind of even compare the two because one is so much bigger. But um, that's a good question, though, man. I mean, these are, these are questions my boys ask me all the time. Like, dude, are you a speaker or a writer? Like, what's the deal? And I'm like, dude, let's flip a coin and decide right now. I mean, like, I, I, I wish I knew the answer. Third occupation somewhere in here, then I'm really gonna be just a mess. But I love it. I love it, man. Um, what what advice would you give to the like someone who's younger, um, someone who's younger watching this video? Let's say in their uh, teenage years. So, what would you say to them? Um, what would you want to impart on them in this interview? Um, you know, I. Uh, Gosh, I mean, not to take a total left turn here with our our podcast, but I uh, I'm so hurt by the all the events happening with these school shootings around the country, mm. and it's really impacted me in a way that I never really imagined. Uh, and uh, not to kind of you know again put a damper on things, but what I would say to those kids just in general, you know, because I know that obviously not all of them have had to deal with that, and you know, hopefully no more have to, but uh, they're so young, man. Like I, you got your whole life ahead of you. I don't know what it is that some of you guys are going through. I was going through plenty of stuff when I was that age and, um, it, it gets better, man. Absolutely. Like whatever people feel like their problems are at 15, trust me, like they will not be your problem. Maybe even when you're 16. And, uh, that's, I think the scary thing with these school shootings is that's such a permanent, um, way out of these issues and uh you know i'm very moved by it and i know it, it is going to impact my next uh projects coming in the future i have a lot of things in mind because of it but uh to the message to them would just be again you know it gets better and uh it, everyone's kind of going through their own battle even if they don't seem like it some people just kind of just do a better job of hiding it but uh just to remain strong and you know be, remain passionate and read a lot people who don't read i don't know man i can't deal with them I can't do that. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. What would you tell to parents listening right now? Um, I think I think that message would apply to them as well to kind of give their their children the space to be creative. Um, I would also say that you know uh, to parents that you you can't write your child's future as much as you wish you could. You know, like I see that a lot now and. Um, you know, I have parents who are like really get in my face about saying, Hey, like, will you talk to my kid and set him straight? It's like, well, that has to come from within. I mean, no one made my path easier. Um, I had to kind of go through my own mistakes to figure out, you know what, like I need to change. Mm -hmm. Um, so real change comes from within and, um, I hope I can be a tool and, and, you know, you similarly with this platform you've created can be a tool, but ultimately we're, just that a tool we're not the driving force so it has to come from them yeah yeah i love it man i think what i've what i've heard is common wisdom to share with parents is to just be there 
right? Like just be there for, for your kid, whatever they're going through, they just, they probably feel alone. They feel frustrated. They feel overwhelmed. They feel like they don't belong. They feel like an outcast, afraid of getting rejected, afraid of just not fitting in. And I think that's one of the biggest struggles. And if a parent can just say, Hey, my door's open. Like, you know, whenever, whenever you need me, whenever you need to talk, like I'm here for you. I think that's one of the most valuable things that we can do as human beings for other human beings and especially our kids. I I agree, man. I think that, and it's, you know, easier said than done. Like, um, I know that obviously we all get busy with our lives, but I mean, I always say this, I'm never going to say I'm too tired or I'm too busy. Like those mm-hmm. are the two things that's just like that throw them out. Everyone's tired. Everyone's busy. Like I, I hate mm-hmm. that excuse. Um, and that's something that even parents can do. I'm too tired to deal with that. or I'm too busy yeah. to think about that. You know, it's just like, those are just, those are my cuss words. You know, I won't. <laughs> what what would you replace them with? Um. Uh. Well, so it's funny that book Peter Guber uh, Tell to Win. He said it every time he heard the word no, all he heard in his head was on, meaning mm-hmm. like you know if he walked into a meeting and they said no, you know we're not going to take your deal. It's like all right, well now I really have to be creative here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess for my kind of example with I'm too tired or I'm too busy. It's just that, um, I would replace that with, you know, maybe like, maybe like I'll get to it when I can or, (laughs) or, uh, or, you know, when I have more, more, um, energy to do so, like I don't have my full focus. Yeah. That's probably what I would focus. Like, I know I definitely turn down things because it's like, not like a too tired, too busy, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. My energy is all here right now. Yeah. to take even a little bit away from it and go to that would hurt the, you know, what I was doing. So, um, but people, people can go beyond their limits. I, I find that hard to believe sometimes, you know, I don't want to hear it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, ask ourselves, how can we go the extra mile right now? What, what would the extra mile look like in this situation? Okay. So I'm too tired. I'm too busy. Throw those out. Cause JD said, those are freaking cuss words. Bye-bye. Right. And then, okay. So what, what could I do to go the extra mile right now? Maybe it's not being able to fulfill the request or whatever is needed, but it's saying it's communicating a structure. It's like saying, Hey, at this point, like, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm focused on, you know, et cetera. Can we do it? in 10 minutes can we do it tomorrow morning and so just like being creative and resourceful to see you know how urgent is the thing what really needs to get done how can we shift priorities and and just not just be a no and stonewall and be overwhelmed but say okay i get that it's important to you here's where i'm at how can we come together and i think that's that's communication i think a lot of people struggle with just communication in general yeah absolutely no I, i agree yeah man uh, this is this is great stuff, JD. Um, so, if you had to write one ses- one sentence, um, it was it was let's say your your dying message, quote unquote, it was on your your obituary obituary to the world. Yeah. What would that sentence be? What would my one my my last sentence be? Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, actually, it's funny you ask that. I've actually thought about this recently, and I. Cause I hear it all the time. I, I mean, you know, it's like a, it's like a common kind of phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, people like to say like, you know, like a 1% chance, like, ah, oh, you know, that's, there's only a 1% chance of your book getting published or, mm-hmm. you know, 1% of every 
person that starts writing a book finishes it. Like I've heard that 1% thrown around so loosely. Like, I don't even know what that means anymore. (laughs) Um, so my last dying sentence would be all I ever needed in my life was a 1% chance. Mm. Best odds I ever got, man. That's gold. I love it. I love it. Um, that I, when I hear that, I feel like, you know, everyone can be the best at something, right? If you set yourself out, set on the journey to be the best at something, like you will at least be top 1%. And that's, that's, that's gold. Um, do you think, do you feel everyone should, like, it's important for people to strive to be like at the top or, you know, competing with, with people or just be their best selves? What do you, what do you think around that? Yeah, I would say contrary to probably what most people would assume from an athletic background, I don't really view it as like a competition. Um, I like competition in sport. I'm not really someone that looks at others and is like, oh, I need to be a better author than that guy or a better speaker. I think we can all win. Like I, I've never uh, been someone to kind of like, you know, berate others for my success. Um, and and that, you know, I, I don't say that like negatively. I don't. I, people do that, and it works for them. And there's, believe me, there's plenty of really successful people that that's how they think. And, um, but in business, I've never really felt like that's a good way to have a mindset of, but I think that, uh, you should just never let the odds of failure keep you from doing something like, Mm. you know, again, I think I don't want to butcher the quote, but I believe it was John F. Kennedy said every amazing idea started off with someone just trying Mm. and uh, that really stuck with me is like, yeah, man, at some point, Albert Einstein was sitting there going, you know what, I'm gonna try to figure out how to do X, Y, or Z, or every great founder or creator or artist was sitting there with a blank paper. And, you know, right before, um, right before J.D. Salinger wrote Catcher in the Rye, he was a nobody sitting there with a blank book. Like, I mean, I, uh, I think that if you don't try at all, then where's the fun in life, man? You only get, you only have one, so you might as well try and really go for it. Yeah, you got to a top percentage of books, book sales on Amazon. I think I said top top two percent. What would you recommend to authors out there who want to get their book to a level of success like you've achieved? Vulnerability. That's the word I will take down with me all the way from now until when I'm 188 is uh vulnerability if you're not vulnerable in your writing people can tell right away Mm. and i don't think it's storytelling i don't think it's uh who can write the best sentence or the sexiest sentence and uh best metaphor you know those are good things and like obviously you want to work on that and be good at it Mm -hmm. but none of that applies if you're not vulnerable like if your reader can't sit there and go dang this guy really poured his heart and soul on these pages um you're, you're done. And I think that as long as you do do that and you remain true to that, um, your book will always be a success. So I think that's when it, that's the writing part, but marketing is 50% of this game. I mean, yep. you have to push that thing. Like you're, you know, a car salesman or <laughs> the door. Like I was just, people always make the joke. Like, yeah, you could, I mean, even if you wanted, you could buy a hundred books and sell them out of your back, the back uh, seat of your car. I was doing that for a year. Like, I mean, you got to love your book and project so much that you'd go, you one, one sale is not um, enough and the bigger ones will come. I mean, Mm. I know now, like when I do speeches, I make it a prerequisite that they purchase, you know, 200 before the speech or something like that. And um, those are things that like, as you build, 
you can earn the right to do, but you can't just start there. So hmm. it's a, um, it's a slow growth, but it is hard. And I think that, you know, I have a good team of people that help me out and I'm very lucky to have that. And, um, you know, but it's, uh, I think vulnerability, it all comes back to that. You know, I love that. And also what you said is like slow growth. I think when people look at you, JD, they're like, slow growth, this is all happening within the last like two or three right. years. What are you talking about slow growth? I've been working at this for a decade. And I'm still not where I want to be. What the heck? You know? So I think, uh, really, really get to be, you know, I'm, I'm sure you recognize how, how blessed you are, how, how yeah. graced you've been with all these opportunities and stuff, man. It's, it's really awesome. Well, I, uh, just to that point too, cause I, I you're right. I agree. I think, um, but I, I would say this is like, I, um, I'd given a, I'd given a speech maybe with like, you know, like an 800 person speech. Like it was a big break. It was like six months into my book being published. And, um, I would had, I hadn't really had a lot of events. So I was going to local city councils to speak just like almost, I mean, honestly, it was like practice. I would go and use the three minutes and go and speak. And I mean, dude, there's like three or four people there. The night after I'd given like an 800 person speech, I was at a city council meeting for like a small little town in my neighborhood. And I'd, I'd written up a speech, I'd practiced it. And there was four people there. And um, that to me, I, I prepared just as intensely and as impactfully as that one. And that is like, you know, not the speech anyone saw or like anyone cared about, but that's what I would probably mean by when I say slow growth is like, mm -hmm. I didn't skip those steps, you know, although I had quick success. Um, I think I also never lost sight of the fact that I also did the little events too, you know, and like, um, you can't, you can't forget that sort of kind of grind, I guess. Hmm. It's gold. I love it. JD, this has been a powerful conversation. I want to tell our audience how they can stay connected with you and what do we want them to do next, bro? Yeah. So, um, first of all, Chris, thank you again, man. I had a, I mean, a pleasure to be on the, on the pod. It's a beautiful time, man. I, uh, I'm happy to come out, come out of my shell for at least an hour and before I go right <laughs> back into it. Um, but for all kinds of updates on me again, I'm going to be off, off kind of the grid for another month and a half here as I finish up what I'm working on. But, um, all information is very up to date on my Instagram and Twitter. And that's JD at, or excuse me, it's JD underscore slacker, S L A J C H E R T. That's Twitter and Instagram. And then my website is www.jdwritesbooks.com. And both of my books are available on Amazon, Moonflower and the Moonflower Charity Edition. Um, so go ahead and just check it out. Lots of, lots of cool reading there, but um, yeah. And feel free to get in touch with me. I mean, any, anyone who listened or wants to find out more about my story, um, can feel free to do so and reach out to me. My email is on my website as well. Um, there's plenty of different ways to get in touch and yeah, feel free to reach out. Game on brother. I appreciate you being here. It was a lot of fun. Excited to see what this project is. That's so secretive. Me that too, nobody, man. nobody me. knows what, what's going on behind the curtains, but Hey, I know, I know you're the wizard of Oz pull, pulling the, yeah, right. the masterpiece into it. I got to actually man. cover this, this over here on my shoulder. This will give it away. So I don't look, <laughs> but I, uh, no man, I'm happy to come back talk all about it once it's done. So let's, let's make that happen. Game on, man. Thank you for being here, JD. Hey, thank you, brother. From the bottom of my heart, Thank you for tuning in. Right now, we've reached the end of this episode, but this is the start of a whole new beginning. 
Each and every moment, you have an opportunity to rewrite your story. Right here, right now, decide and commit who you are going to be. Think about how you will use these ideas, wisdom, and inspiration to make the difference in your life. What actions will you take today and every day to step into your greatest possible self? Again, a big shout out to our sponsor, EmployeeEscapePlan.com. If you're committed to learning how to truly harness your abilities and passions to serve the people who are hungry and desperate for what you have to offer, make a great income off of your genius, or if you're ready to get more clients to pay you more money, head over to www.employeeescapeplan.com and let Joe know you were sent by Chris. Did you enjoy this episode? Let your friends know about it. Share the website, beyourgps.com and send me some love on social media. If you want to clarify your vision, uncover blind spots, get more energy, tap into your flow and take massive action, head over to beyourgps.com forward slash coaching to schedule some time into my calendar. Now, master yourself, create your reality, and make every day your best day ever. <laughs>